Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week we're going to be going over a huge pay per view, which is headlined by Johnny Bones Jones against Tiago Santos and co headlined by Holly Holm against Amanda Nunes, Champ Champ. Uh, UFC 239, it's a huge card. We also got uh, Jorge Masvidal against Ben Askren on it. Uh, Luke Rockhold making his 205 debut against Jan Blahovic. Uh, huge, huge card. Really can't wait to fucking dive into it for you guys. Uh, but we got the return of the casuals this week. My man Big Rob is in the house. What's up? Yeah. All right. This week, uh, for some fucking reason, uh, John Anik's most uh, recent podcast, at least uh, his last couple podcasts, uh, TJ DeSantis has managed to bring the the call of the Frank Mir and Todd Duffy fight as their intro. And for all of you that remember that fight, it was fucking bonkers from bell to bell um it only lasts roughly like just over a minute and i feel like it's a fight that i definitely need to show my man big rob uh especially with it only being a minute long it's a quick fun little fight that we can show him uh how heavyweights could be more so of a rock'em sock'em type of fight uh and it would be a lot more entertaining for the casual fan so let's get a casual's perspective on uh, Frank Mir versus Todd Duffy so i'm just going to start it off from right uh at the beginning uh these are two heavyweights that just want to throw. So okay. let's uh, cool. Let's get it going. Right off the bat, we got uh, Frank Mir and Todd Duffy, like I said. Uh, this was several years ago now. As most of you know, Frank Mir is in Bellator. Uh, and this was mostly on the decline of Frank Mir's uh, career as well. So Frank Mir is the guy in the black shorts. Todd Duffy is the guy in the white shorts. Okay. Uh, Frank Mir has been around for a whole long time. He's been around since like UFC 30-something, which was like early 2000s. And Todd Duffy is just a fucking massive man and... They just like to fucking throw. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, the knee. Oh, you got him there. <laughs> oh. Just fucking wow. throwing bombs. Frank Mir's best path to victory here in this fight would have been to take Todd Duffy down and implement his uh, jiu-jitsu, black belt and jiu-jitsu, great jiu-jitsu game. Uh, but he, for some reason, he wanted to throw with a fucking banger like this guy. Look at that. For a solid 50 seconds straight, they've just been throwing bombs at each other. Clinches up for a, a big knee by Duffy in the clinch. He breaks away. And they just fucking go for it again. Huh. Whoa. Oh. 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 More. Oh. Oh. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. And Todd whoa. Duffy just crumples. Collapsed. Crumples. That was it. If you guys are more so of a new fan, I would highly recommend going to watch this fight. It's only a minute and 13 seconds long. Todd Duffy versus Frank Mir. Todd Duffy was a minus 200 favorite going into that fight as well. So just so you guys know, you know, Frank Mir was definitely not expected to win that fight, especially not in that fashion too. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Just throw bombs. They want fight of the night for that. Normally fight of the nights last longer than a minute. Out of 12 fights, you're going to give this fight uh, the fight of the night. Uh, and it only lasts a minute and 13 seconds, but it was totally fucking worth it for a minute just, and 13 yeah. seconds. He just collapsed. It it was like a picture-perfect shot that landed on him, but the guy was being very... It was He was being crazy with it. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the smartest thing. Look, okay. very wide, oh, whoa, and then whoa, bam, whoa, whoa. right on that the chin. It. That was it. And the way he crumpled to it. Oh, that oh, last shot wasn't... Yeah. yeah. The last one wasn't necessary, but still fucking... Look how wide and like... oh. Oh, my right God. There. He had absolutely no respect for Frank Mir's stand-up game either. He was just like, you know what? This guy's not going to knock me out. And little do you know, he yeah. gets knocked the fuck out. 
Now, is he allowed to hit him when he's down? I, or... He can keep going until the referee stops him. Oh, right. So, yeah. right there, the ref. Like the right, yeah. The second one that he wanted up for that ended up missing probably shouldn't have, mm. you know, uh, he should probably shouldn't have done that because the referee was already touching him. Yeah. But when you're in that, like, fucking in zone, that, yeah. that kill zone, I completely understand it. Oh, but for sure. How fucking, like, a millisecond. just a minute and a half of just absolute chaos. I didn't think way it was going to happen falls, like that. Right? Uh, yeah. I thought they were going to just keep going at it and going at it and going at it. And, and who, like, just physically looking at them, too. You expect yeah. this young fucking stud to get the knockout, but this guy just stuck around and... Did, did, so you hit him or with the fi- fist, or did it look like... It almost happened so fast, it looked like his forearm. No, it was... Uh, watch the second replay, which will probably be the best angle. Okay. Um, he lands it right on the chin. This okay. left hand... Oh. Boom, like right on the chin, literally right here. Oh. Does enough to twist the brainstem and oh, put the guy out. Wow. And the best is the, this guy's reaction back here. Watch this guy's reaction. There it is. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I That's one thing I love about watching uh, uh, replays is just looking at the people that are like cage side. Yeah. There's a, there's the last uh, matchmaker. There's a guy named Joe Silva. He was like the first ever guy to be in the UFC that would match these guys up, mm-hmm. uh, and his reactions are probably the best. Uh, where the fuck is he? He's like this short, like fucking. He looks like the most <laughs> unassuming, like evil, diabolical guy, but his fucking. Uh, he's right here. This guy. Oh okay. This fucking yeah. guy has like yeah, the yeah, best yeah. cage side reactions that you'll ever fucking see. He's so into it. That's what I fucking love. Oh, that was God wild, man. damn. I love these heavyweight wars. It's always fun to show, like, just random people. This is probably one of the fights that I show anybody that's just like, so what's the UFC all about? Yeah. This is what it could be for a casual fan's, like, ultimate excitement level. It's just two guys fucking swinging and then one guy going down like a pile of bricks. Fucking insane. That's literally <laughs> what it was. Again, if you guys haven't seen it, check it out. Todd Duffy versus Frank Muir. You can find it on Fight Pass. So uh, it's only a minute and 13 seconds of your life. Totally fucking worth it. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's just quickly go over it. How the fuck was your Canada Day weekend? We talked Dude, a little bit about it a little earlier. It was awesome, man. Yeah. Went up to the cottage a bit, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Got to go on the water a bit. Nice. Yeah, yeah. You know, see some friends and family and, yeah, some good food and what more can I say? <laughs> food is probably the best part of the, these types of long weekends and these get-togethers, eh? Yeah. That's when, like, the good shit comes out. Yeah, yeah. What did you have? Did you have anything? Oh, man, we had all kinds of stuff. Like, yeah. barbecue was going. We even uh, we even did a lasagna up. Uh, oh, damn. Yeah, shout out to uh, Cassandra for... <laughs> hooking up the hooking lasagna, up the eh? lasagna and damn. the other food. Yeah. That's, that's the one food that I actually don't mind as a vegetarian. Like as as uh, as done vegetarian okay. rather than having meat or anything. Did you guys have meat in it? Yes, but I gotta yeah. tell you, going up, I tried the A and W Beyond Meat Burger. Yeah, I, and I've been trying some other stuff too. And, yeah, and I gotta say, you it's know good. What? It's you know, it, you can't really tell the difference. <laughs> Do you, did you have a specific reason as to why you tried it? Uh, just because people are telling me yeah. it's so good, you can't tell the difference and all this stuff. And uh, and honest to God, like if you if you knew 
what you know if you had one before and had a regular burger and you had the two side by side you wouldn't be able to tell the difference you probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference it'd be pretty difficult i'm not kidding because it, it even has like oily kind of flavors in it and stuff like when huh. you're cooking it so i don't think it might necessarily be better for you like fat per fat or a gram you know and 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 you know calorie per calorie but but I mean, hey, it's it's just a pretty cool alternative. Yeah. The I, texture's I, right, even. You oh, know? true. Yeah. Interesting. I, I don't know. I've just never had that uh, that that desire to go the vegan lifestyle yeah. or like the plant based lifestyle. Yeah. So I'm, I, I'm seeing it pop a lot more. Like even Tim Hortons before I came here, like fucking, yeah. they have like the Beyond Meat Burger now or some shit like that. I'm like, mm. well, a hundred percent. I'm I'm on board with you. I'm I'm th- I think exactly the same way. Like I'm always like I grew up with meat and and uh, you know I was never thought of a sub substitute but what the only thing that kind of stuck with me something i read or someone said something i uh in the last year which was why are you getting your protein secondhand because if you think about all the meat that we're getting is um you know that or the protein that we're getting is from meat um is really just coming from vegetables right so i was thinking oh that's right because like Hmm. we're really getting it from you know like well what do you mean exactly by that like uh well well we eat the animal for protein and the animal eats ate, vegetables, ate the vegetables for protein for i guess protein. Yeah, yeah 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 so so it's like why not get the protein straight from the plant yeah right from the plant mm-hmm. right and i thought that was interesting because uh you know anyhow not to get all of this stuff but i i <laughs> vega shakes and stuff yeah, i yeah, love yeah. that stuff right and you feel good you know, so, and that's all plant-based, right? So my, my girl tried to get me like, she goes, uh, we should go like gluten-free, which I kind of understand okay. like for health-wise, it's, it's probably a good thing to do. Yeah. Uh, go dairy-free. Yeah. I told her I can't give up the cheese though, man. Cheese makes oh. everything fucking delicious. Well, I think you'll be okay with that kind of stuff because my uncle, he, he, he's living a really good, healthy life. And I said, what, 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 what are the things that you've, you know, done to, to, you know, that stood out to you? And he's like. Very simple, Rob. Cut out sugar, cut out flour, and cut out salt, and you'll have salt. a very long That's life. That's an interesting one. Yeah, those three things. He's like, if you cut those three things out, you can have everything else. I've definitely heard the, the grain thing and the uh, sugar. Yeah. As soon as you cut out sugar alone, like if yeah. you just drink water and not yep. any type of like you Pops know carbonated or, drinks yep. or juice or anything like that, yep. you should be good. And I'm like... That's not too hard to do. Like, there's nothing more refreshing than a cold glass of water or fucking a cold bottle of water when you're just fucking parched, right? It's true, man. So, that's not too hard. But again, cheese. Put mm. <laughs> I put that shit on everything. <laughs> I will put that wherever I can. Yeah, man. I fucking love cheese. All right. Well, thanks, Rob. Appreciate you as always. I, I like getting the extra banter. We we can show you some fights. We can do that. But I think I'll get some extra bants. Uh, moving on. Uh, with future episodes too um all right well uh ufc 239 is this weekend but we just passed ufc minneapolis which was headlined by junior dos santos and francis Ngannou. i had a good way uh, good event we ended up in the green uh we went two and three on bets but however um a solid uh lock of the night play allowed me to cash enough units to eventually uh profit for the night uh as well as my uh one of my value plays, I would say, in the Alonzo Menafield and Paul Craig under one and a half. So let's just start off with a quick UFC Minneapolis betting recap. And we'll start off with that fight I just talked about. Alonzo Menafield versus Paul Craig under one and a half rounds. I had uh, 1.4 units at minus 140. Uh, two profit, one unit 
kind of wish I went like lock the night deep on that shit. I don't know why the fuck I didn't. Um, you know, it's always safe to say that after, uh, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. say what you want about that. But in terms of uh, the value on that line, it was ridiculous. Like it wasn't even budging either. I think it may have even closed at minus 140 as well. So, um, you know, maybe even the fight doesn't go to decision. I probably should have looked a little bit deeper into that. Uh, even the Eric Anders versus Vinicius Mojeo one, I sure definitely looked into that a little bit more. I had one of my commenters on the last uh, pod, uh, podcast as well, uh, you know, say something about that too. So, you know, shout out to that guy. You know, I'm sure you made some money off of that good shit. Uh, but uh, I probably should have went a little bit deeper on the uh, the under one and a half on this Menafield and Craig fight. Um, kind of went the way that I thought. You know, I didn't think that Paul Craig was going to get him down, and then eventually Alonzo Menafield's uh, strength, power, and knockout of ability was eventually going to uh, you know make Paul Craig succumb to a to a knockout finish, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, next up, I had. We'll just go with the winning bets. Uh, my lock of the night play was Joseph Benavides versus Jussier Formiga. I had five units on minus 162 on Joseph Benavides. Somehow, some motherfucking way, this line got all the way down to minus 120. How? No fucking clue. I think people are just reading into the fact that Joseph Benavides lost to Sergio Perez three fights ago and that he's on his decline even though he just got two big victories over Dustin Ortiz and uh, Alex Perez in his last two fights. And Jose Formiga has been looking great. You know, he, he beat Davison at Figueredo coming into this fight. Uh, his stand-up has definitely gotten better ever since the last time uh, he fought Joseph Benavides. But I didn't think it was going to get good enough to the point that where he could dethrone a guy like Joseph Benavides. Uh, and it came to came to fruition this time around. I I wish I waited a little bit longer, but I could not abs- I could not foresee the line closing as much as it did. I thought we were going to get Joseph Benavides closing at minus two hundred or so. However, it closed closer to minus one twenty, uh, and I'm kicking myself for that. I. Could have profited way more off of that. However, we come back with 3.09 units off of that bet. Happy nonetheless because it hit. <clears throat> and then we'll go into the unfortunate losing bets. So I had three uh, pretty much dog of the night plays, starting off with the main event one. I had one unit on Junior Dos Santos, Junior Dos Santos at plus 211. I thought there was significant value there. Uh, you know, uh, Francis Ngannou, he will always have that one-shot KO power that can put anybody the fuck out. But outside of that, we still haven't seen him tested in like the Stipe Miocic fashion. Not saying that Junior Dos Santos was going to be able to implement that, but I thought that if Dos Santos was able to stay away from that power, uh, he would have a very good chance of winning because skill for skill, I still think he's better than Francis Ngannou. However, you know, uh, possible chin issues, which I really uh, downplayed leading up to this fight, I'm still downplaying because, yeah, it was a knockdown and, and he did get finished the TKO it wasn't something severe where he was out cold or anything like that so I'm not I'm still not going to say that Junior Dos Santos has chin issues it's just Francis Ngannou hits like a motherfucker uh, but I also expected if this fight did get past a round and a half that it would definitely be in JDS's favor and that means that JDS was working the body uh, wearing Francis out and would uh, slow down Francis enough that he would be able to stay away from those big shots uh, but eventually it came down to him throwing that winging overhand right uh, which kind of you know uh, put him off a little bit uh in terms of balance and then francis Ngannou was uh you know masterful in terms of following up with counters and making Junior dos santos pay for that so minus one unit there uh on Junior dos santos another uh dog of the night play was 1.5 units at plus 162 on anthony rocco martin against damian maya i thought he had the, the the significant advantage on the feet which he did and I thought that his athleticism and uh, footwork was going to be able to get, keep him out of bad positions against Damian Maya. He did decent, uh, but then eventually Damian Maya was able to clasp his hands and then just work Tony Martin against that fence. Uh, 
absolutely irresponsible stand up on the on behalf of the referee in that second round when Damian Maya was in full mount. Uh, you know, even as a guy betting Tony Martin, and it was probably you know uh, definitely beneficial for Tony Martin to get out of that position thanks to the referee. But you know. Uh, I was still kind of pissed. I felt bad for Damian Meyer. Like, it, he got him into a position that was probably the, the most dominant position you can get a fighter in, and the referee just takes it away because he thinks that there's too much stalemating going on. I did not agree with that. Regardless, you know, Tony Martin comes on strong in that third round, or you can even say that Damian Meyer just decided to throw absolutely nothing uh, and probably, you know, is the definition of taking a round off uh, was that third round of Damian Meyer. Uh, but that, the first two rounds were still enough for Damian Meyer to take away the 29... 29- 28 uh, decision uh, against Anthony Rocco Martin and we had one judge I believe scored it a draw giving Tony Martin uh, a 10-8 third round I'm not complaining too much about it regardless it still ended up being a loss minus 1.5 units on Anthony Rocco Martin and then lastly I had a very small play 0.25 units on Maurice Green to win by submission against Junior Albini at plus 725 I thought with the amount that Maurice Green seemed to be working on his jiu-jitsu even before that uh, Jeff Hughes fight, uh, you know, I thought that he could catch a guy like Junior Albini who's been caught before, uh, you know, not just by Alexei Olenek, but uh, I thought that Maurice Green, if he was going to be able to hurt Junior Albini, which he did, I thought he would hunt for the submission a little bit more. However, he ended up following up with more uh, with more punches and then eventually got the TKO. So, uh, so close to catching catching that plus 725 underdog uh, bet. Uh, however, uh, you know, it was just a stab, so minus 0.25 units is not to I'm not going to cry over that so uh you know good good win for Maurice Green unfortunately he got it by TKO instead of uh, submission uh so that's minus 0.25 units there and then uh you know just put it to put a bow on it uh it was plus 1.34 units on UFC Minneapolis for a 50 percent 15 percent ROI uh you know and another lock of the night hit so Uh, That pretty much capped off the first half of uh, 2019 for your boy. Uh, You know, ended up minus two-ish units um, for the year. Uh, for for at least for the first half of this year, uh, I think I, I definitely had a better second quarter uh, than I did the first quarter. So I'm definitely going to run those numbers and uh, put them out for you guys um, on Twitter probably in the next couple of days or so when I get the chance. Uh, but. We're rolling right into the second half, uh, you know, off a win. So, you know, momentum is back on the side. Uh, and I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of chalk on this UFC 239 card, which I'm going to get into now. Uh, you know, it's kind of, I, I tweeted out earlier yesterday, that's kind of giving UFC Moscow a run for its running in terms of chalk city. Uh, if you guys remember the UFC Moscow card from last year, I think it was headlined by Hunt and Olenek. Uh, there was over a crazy amount of minus 400s, minus 500s. Uh, and we're kind of getting the same here. Like on fight day, or sorry, on uh, what is today? Tuesday of fight week, we have, uh, let's say, just over minus 300 on five dimes. You got one, two, three, four, five, six, six fighters above minus 300. So that's half of the fights on the card where we have a huge discrepancy in terms of odds. Um, I think we're going to see that slowly uh, close here. Uh, with some of these fights, I think a lot of people are going to be dog hunting here. I have one dog that I really like at the moment, and I'm probably actually going to be, you know what, I will probably bet him while I'm recording this podcast once we get to that actual fight. So uh, I see him at, at some odds that I really, really much like, and I'm surprised I didn't get my goddamn notification from best fight odds yet in terms of the fact that this fighter hit the range that I want to hit him at. But you guys will hear about that as soon as I get to that fight. So 
UFC 239, like I said, top to bottom, great fight card. We got Ben Askren's return, uh, Luke Rockhold going up to 205, Michael Chiesa against Diego Sanchez, the return of Gilbert Melendez against a young up-and-comer in Arnold Arnold Allen, Claudia Godella trying to bounce back from that Nina Ansroff loss, Yadong Song, everybody's boy, Yadong, coming back to fight Alejandro Perez, Uh, the return of the Austrian wonder boy, uh, Ismail uh, Nardiev, uh, against Chancellor Country, and as well as the the UFC debut of uh, the panda. What is it? The panda. What's her name? The raging panda, Julia Avila. Uh, so you know, there's there's a lot of fun fights sprinkled throughout this card, uh, as well as Edmund Shabazian, who's been on a crazy run as well. Uh, I like the card top to bottom, man. There's a, there's something in every fight that has me intrigued. Maybe other than the Marlon Vera fight, because I. You know, I haven't really looked into Hernandez yet. I think his replacement just got announced last night. So I've had zero chance to look into that fight. I'll do my best to, to break down Marlon Vera for you guys. But I know jack shit about Hernandez. So let's learn together about who the fuck no Helen Hernandez is. So without further ado, let's just fucking get into this card. Uh, let's get it rolling. First fight, since it doesn't matter, since there's no fucking... Uh, pictures for any of these girls. We got Penny Kianzad versus Julia Avila. Starting off with Penny Kianzad, she's coming off a victory over Ioni Razafirison. Butchered that. Uh, but that's actually her first fight after coming off that loss to Macy Kiasen at the Ultimate Fighter finale. I kind of find it interesting that they cut Penny Kianzad as a finalist in the Ultimate Fighter, uh, but quickly brought her back uh, to fight Julia Avila here. Um, I believe Julia Avila was also... Yeah, Julia Avila was actually supposed to fight Melissa Gatto. Melissa Gatto had to pull out. And Pani Kianzad comes back on a relatively quick turnaround from her last fight, which was in May... uh, Which was May 11th. I've never been the biggest fan of Pani Kianzad. I think she has a very... uh, A game that's easily exploited. And I think that we're going to see that from Julia Avila here as well. Uh, you know, some names that uh, Penny Kianzad has fought in the past. She has she holds victories over Jessica Rose Clark, uh, Milana Dudieva, Lena Landsberg. Uh, those are pretty much her most notable wins. Uh, but she's, you know, uh, come across hard times against girls like Tony Evinger, Raquel Paluli, Palui. Uh, Sarah Kaufman, and then obviously her Ultimate Fighter finale loss to Macy Kiasen. Uh Julia Avila is definitely a prospect that a lot of people are looking forward to uh, coming into the UFC. She's six and one with wins over Nico Montano, uh, and I think that, uh, and as well as uh, Marion Renault in her UFC, or sorry, in her pro debut way back in two thousand and twelve. She took off about four and a half years, and then eventually came back at XKO, uh, and then you know. Strung together three wins. Lost to a girl named Marcia Allen uh, in Invicta. I haven't been a chance to to see that uh, yet, but it was just a hand injury, so uh, I I should definitely take a look at that. Uh, But I've seen her fight against Alexa Connors. I'm very impressed with this girl. Um, I think it's a long time coming that she... You know, finally made it into the UFC, and I think she's gonna make a. She's gonna make a. She's definitely gonna make a stamp here. She's gonna make a statement. I think that she's gonna be able to easily uh, grind out uh, Penny Kianzad, who has shown you know the the ability to get easily grinded out here. So I kind of understand the the minus two fifty ish range that Julia Vila is currently at. Uh, I think you can get yeah minus two forty at at five dimes. Uh, you know, a little bit of juice, but. Probably some juice I wouldn't mind paying. Uh, 
I want to I want to look into a little bit more, but I definitely like Julia Villa here. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I want to call it more so a, a fade on Pani Kianzad, uh, but more so a, a belief in Julia Villa and what she has to bring to the table here. So uh, I, I like her here. I think that she'll be able to finish Pani Kianzad as well, especially when she gets her down. I believe she'll be the stronger fighter as well. Uh, and I think that uh, Kianzad is going to have a lot of issues uh, dealing with the pressure. And uh, and top control of Julia Vila as well. So I'm taking Julia Vila here. I'm probably going to take her by second round TKO, probably gra- ground and pound or even like a, uh, a submission. Uh, but I've definitely taken Vila here. Uh, and unfortunately for Kianza, she's going to have to go 0 and 2 in the UFC. Next up, we got the Austrian wonder boy Ismail Nardiev against Chance Rinkowski. Starting off with Ismail Nardiev, uh, he's coming off a big victory over Michelle Prezers, and that actually uh, I want I want to confirm this number, but that snapped a huge winning streak for uh, for Prezers. Prezers was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. He was on an eight fight winning streak before he ran into Nardiev, uh, and. Like the fucking chump I was, I I parlayed Prezeris that night. I didn't think that uh, Nordiev was going to be able to handle the pressure and grappling of Prezeris, uh, but he did a great job in keeping Prezeris off of him and then making him pay on the feet. Uh, he obviously has his advantages on the feet, which is where I think that he's going to be able to piece up Chad's Rencountry. Uh, you know, Chancellor Encountry, decent fighter, uh, holding a win over Kyle Stewart in his last fight. But before that, uh, his UFC debut, he dropped to Bilal Muhammad. Um, you know, decent win over Kyle Stewart, but Kyle Stewart is no Ismail Nordiev. I, I expect Nordiev to get a KO victory here. I think that he's going to finish him probably in the third round. Uh, the, definitely the better striker here. Uh, more potential as well. I can't wait to see what he turns into. Uh, currently holding an 18-2 and two record. I think he's going to be a problem in this division for a lot of guys. And Red Country is just another uh, just another stepping stone for him. So uh, I, I understand the heavy odds for uh, Ismail Nardiev, you know, minus 500 currently. Uh, I just don't know if I would feel comfortable uh, parlaying him here either. So this is obviously a fight or a card where I feel like a lot of guys that are super chalk may not deserve to be super chalk and there there could be some definitely some live dogs here uh so ishmael nordiev uh you know i think he's the real deal but i don't know if i would actually parlay him here uh i will probably look at the uh the fight doesn't go to decision odds and see if that's worth playing because uh, i do think that there will be plenty of openings for nordiev to finish this fight uh but right now um it's a pass for me. At least betting these guys straight, it's a pass for me. Too much chalk on me, or too too much chalk on Nardiev for me to comfortably play him. So I'm going with Nardiev probably by first round KO, uh, but uh, wouldn't play anything on this fight until at least I see what the props look like. Next up, we got Edmund Shabazian versus Jake Marshman. With Jake Marshman, you know what the fuck we're getting. He was lucky that his last fight against John Phillips was almost like a. a pretty much a mirror fight both guys are you know sluggers they like to have fucking barn burners they like to just stand there and throw bombs uh you know which is why he probably got a split decision against john phillips you know both these guys were just swinging leather and i expect them expected to be the same against uh, Edmund shabazian here uh but i think that shabazian holds so much more power and probably is the better technical fighter too he's a more tighter crisper fighter uh and you know he's on the come up too he's only 21 crazy to me that the guy was born in 97 fucking insane but he holds wins over 
over Darren Stewart and Charles Bird, who he, who he got out of there in the first 38 seconds, which was fucking insane. Uh, I expect him to get another dominant victory here over Jack Marshman. I think he's going to finish Marshman in the first round as well. This kid's heavy-handed, man. I think he has a lot of talent, uh, or at least a lot of striking talent and the ability to finish a lot of these guys. But I can't wait to see him fight a little bit more seasoned and well-rounded guys uh, in this division. Uh, what is that? One one seventy, I believe it is. I don't know why the fuck I'm blanking on uh, on the weight division. Uh, one eighty five, so middleweight. Uh, you know, he's starting at six two, seventy four inch reach. Uh, with Jack Marshman, you're getting out with seventy three inch reach at six foot. Uh, it's it's Jack Marshman. You know, fun guy to watch. You know, he's been around the UFC for a little bit now, but he's never going to be that like top fifteen. He's never going to be that contender, and I think that this is just another stepping stone for Edmund Shabazian, and I truly believe that we're going to get a Shabazian that starches Jack Marshman. Maybe a fight doesn't go to decision prop on this is definitely something to look forward to. Let's, uh, I honestly haven't even seen if the... Oh, look at that. We got some fucking props. Let's see what we're working with here. Uh, fight doesn't go to decision. Minus 190. Very interesting. I'll definitely take a very good look at that because I think this is going to be a stand-up fight and I think that Shabazzian is probably going to knock out Jack Marshman. And we saw in uh, Shabazzian's fight against Darren Stewart, he, was, he had the ability to take these guys down. So I could see him definitely taking da Jack Marshman down and I think that he could even get a ground-and-pound victory there as well too. Uh, we have Shabazzian inside the distance at minus 130. I like the minus 190 in case Jack Marshman lands some sort of Hail Mary shot against Edmund Shabazzian. So uh, I, I might look at that fight doesn't go to decision. I, I really like that right there. Uh, let's see what the fight doesn't go to decision on Ismail Nardiev is. Minus 115. So maybe that's something that I'll probably poke as well because I think that he has plenty of openings to 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 beat a guy like Chance. Uh, but getting back to Shabazian, Jack Marshman, I'm going to say second round TKO for Edmund Shabazian. Uh, you know, he probably, he might come up with a little bit smarter of a game plan. Maybe go like the, the Darren Stewart route where he uh, outgrinds the guy in the first round, then probably in the second round, he puts it on Jack Marshman a little bit more and ends up getting the knockout. So I'm going Edmund Shabazian, second round finish. Next up, let's go right the fuck into my uh, my favorite for at least dog of the night. I'm going to go with, uh, well, I'm talking about Yudong Song against Alejandro Perez. Uh, we'll start off with the Yudong Song. Uh, he's on a crazy run right now. He's on uh, six straight victories, uh, three in the UFC, Barat, Kandare, uh, Felipe Aranches, and uh, Vince Morales. Uh, he was supposed to actually fight Alejandro Perez way back in March, had to pull out of that. Uh, but now they're squared up again um, roughly four months afterwards at UFC 239. Uh, one thing that was very evident to me in researching Yudong Song even for his past fights is this guy loves the fucking war. This guy loves to stand stand there and bang uh, almost to a fault. It's kind of crazy the amount of damage this guy has taken. And even the fights that he's won, he's 21. He's had 18 fights. He's had 18 fights. His fucking... Pro debut was in 2013, which would make him 16 years old when he had his fucking uh, pro debut, which is insane, which is probably illegal in the majority of the MMA world, but somehow in China, they're going to pull this shit off. Regardless, uh, I think in this fight against Alejandro Perez, this is probably the most complete fighter he's fighting in his UFC career. Alejandro Perez is a guy that I've always kind of looked down upon and uh, believe that, uh, you know, 
wasn't the best. I thought he was, you know, on the cusp of top 50, never really going to be, you know, a top 15 guy, uh, never really break the rankings. But he definitely showed me in his Matthew Lopez fight and in his Eddie Wineland fight that this guy's kind of here to stay. Like, I believe that he, his his growth is one of the better growths that we've seen in the UFC, you know, as an all-around fighter from, you know, getting takedowns uh, to be a really good striker, uh, takedown defense, he's definitely improved. It's it's insane to me how, how good he has actually become. Uh, will he become a contender? I don't think so. I think we should pump our brakes on that a little bit. But should he be a plus 200 favorite, or sorry, a plus 200 underdog to a guy like Yudong Song, who, you know, kind of just likes to throw uh, discipline out the window and just throw bombs? Probably not. I think this is a fight that Alejandro Perez could absolutely take advantage of Yudong Song uh, and make it more of his type of fight. I think that he can make this a di- dirty fight. I think that he can make this um, uh, uh, his type of fight. I believe that he, he'll he be able to mix in takedowns, uh, mix in the tighter Tech, technical striking whereas Yudong Song is going to try to want to come in there and uh, he's going to want to make it a war I don't think Alejandro Perez is going to get sucked into that you know Eddie Wineland tried doing the same thing and uh, Perez showed great composure great discipline and was still was and was still able to pull out the victory there you know he he ran into a tough competitor in Cody Stamen his last time out but I'm not expecting to Yudong Song to have a takedown game and 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 the grappling expertise of a Cody Stamen which is why I think that you know Plus 200 is a little crazy. Um, I think a lot of people are on the Yudong Song train, me included, but I probably would have bet him above, you know, minus 170-ish, maybe even minus 175, like even even maybe minus 150. Maybe that's my line for Yudong Song. But I think anything over plus 200 is a little bit disrespectful of Alejandro Perez, and I'm definitely going to take a shot on it. And just to show you guys how fucking serious I am, I'm actually going to bet him right now. I'm going to drop 1.5 units on Alejandro Perez. Before I fucking miss this line, give me a sec. <clears throat> this is a first for the MMA Lockcast where I actually make a bet while I'm recording the podcast because I don't want to miss this line. So as soon as you guys see this and you see Alejandro Perez better than plus 200, you guys fucking jump on that shit. So, uh, plus 206 on sport bet. Even better. Let's fucking run with that. Bam. Alejandro Perez, 1.5 units at plus 206. Sorry. And it's submitted. There we go. Bam. All right, so I'm taking Alejandro Perez by, by uh, like, I could see either a third-round finish or even a decision victory. I'm going to go with the decision. I, th- I think he's going to be a little bit more disciplined than Yudong Song, probably pick his shots a little bit better, land the better shots, uh, mix it up a little bit better than Yudong Song as well. So uh, I'm taking Perez here. Never thought I would bet Perez in my life, but I think this is a prime opportunity for him to win this fight, uh, and I think a lot of people are overlooking him. So uh, there it is. Uh, Alejandro Perez, decision victory, and I personally, just right now, <laughs> place 1.5 units at plus 206. If you see him above plus 200 or better than plus 200, I would highly suggest taking a shot on him. 
All right, let's move on. Claudia Gadella against Randa Marcos. Starting off with Randa Marcos, she's coming off a victory over Angela Hill in a fight that I was super fucking confident in Angela Hill, and she ended up shitting the bed. So that was fucking great. But uh, Randa Marcos comes in here with an Arbar victory over Angela Hill. She's had like the craziest, most roller coaster esque UFC career that I can think of. Let's just go back to uh, her first official fight in the UFC. After her ultimate fighter, she had a loss to Jessica Pena, had a victory over Ashing Daly, had a loss to Karolina Kovalkovic, uh, beat Jocelyn Jones-Lieberger, lost to Courtney Casey, beat Carla Esparza, lost to Alexa Grasso, beat Juliana Lima, lost to Lina, Nina Ansaroff, went to a draw with Marina Rodriguez, and then just beat Adela Hill. If anything is to tell you, what the fuck is probably going to happen next for Rando Marcos? It's probably a loss. The draw in there kind of threw things off a little bit, but I believe that uh, this might be a loss for her. Um, you know, she has that that weird style that she started implementing with her striking where it's kind of offbeat, uh, you know, a little bit more wacky, not the most technical striking, but a little bit more wacky and, and unorthodox, if you want to call it that. Uh, but eventually she, she likes to rely on her grappling and her ability to... Um, outwork some of these girls in those grappling positions. But I think that she's going to have a very hard time against a girl like Claudia Godilla. So uh, I'm personally going to pick Claudia Godilla to win by second round submission because I think that is a place that Rana Marcos is eventually going to find herself. But if she's able to get into that third round, I don't know if she's going to be able to you know, get a 10-8 in that third round. I don't expect Rana Marcos to win either of the first two rounds. Um but I also would not feel comfortable betting Claudia Godella at minus like 225 either. You know, her gas tank has always been an issue. And we've seen that in her last fight against Nina Ansaroff. Nobody ever expected her to lose to Nina Ansaroff. I know a lot of people that lost money on her, especially in a parlay situation. She was she closed at minus 305 against Nina Ansaroff and then lost that decision. But, you know, her gas tank has always been an issue. Randa Marcos has a decent gas tank, so I'll give her that. Uh, but I don't think she'll see that third round too you know, show the advantages of what a third-round gas tank would have uh, over a girl like Claudia Godella. But I expect Claudia to to, to get a hold of uh, Rana Marcos, get this fight to the ground, and then quickly submit her. Uh, maybe not quickly, but I think uh, second-round submission, we see a, we see neither either an armbar or a rear naked control for Claudia Godella. I'll probably look at a Claudia Godella submission um, line. Let's see what Claudia Godella inside the distance looks like, though. If that's plus money, I wouldn't mind putting a little bit on that. Damn. Godella to win inside the distance is plus 300. So that's definitely something I'm probably going to poke. I don't think Ronda Marcos has the, the submission defense to uh, to fend off a girl like uh, uh, Claudia Godella. So I think plus 300 for inside the distance on Claudia Godella has a lot of fucking value. So I would definitely think about playing that um, and something that I would recommend to you guys as well. Uh, but I'm definitely taking Claudia Godelli here. I'm not going to completely write her off, as most people probably will. Uh, I think that she has a really good chance of winning this fight and still cementing herself as like a top five girl in that division. Um, and I don't think a girl like Ronda Marcos is going to beat her. You know, her style plays right into uh, the style of Claudia Godella, and it's going to be uh, unfortunate, but I think that Claudia Godella gets this victory over my fellow Canadian sister, <laughs> uh, Ronda Marcos. So, Claudia Godella, second round submission over Randa Marcos. Next up, uh, UFC still fucking has Sean O'Malley against Cheeto Vera, uh, but Cheeto Vera is now fighting a guy named Nohelen 
Hernandez. Uh, this fight got put together last night, so I had absolutely zero time to look into this guy. I will be updating the tape index tonight as well, so you guys can learn a little bit more about No Helen. Uh, I, I want to keep wanting to say Gonzalez, but it's Hernandez. But I will say Hernandez. Uh, you know, maybe he could be. Uh, let's see if there's any odds out for that yet. No odds yet. So. Uh, uh, I'll, hopefully I can line this before the actual odds come out and, and it gets spoiled and I can see if it's, you know, along my thinking. But Marlon Vera is a guy that's uh, coming in here. I bet against him last time because Frankie Sanz was a, a decent underdog to him. I was surprised to see that underdog price on him. But Chido Vera comes out with like a bat out of hell and completely stuns and, and finishes Frankie Sanz in a in a com- weird turn of events. I did not expect that to happen at all. Uh, and I still don't think highly of Marlon Vera. I don't know what the fuck it is. Uh, I wasn't going to bet Sean O'Malley here. I don't know if I would bet no Helen Hernandez. I got to put in the, the work for it and see what he has to offer here. Uh, but, you know, Marlon Vera, decent jiu-jitsu. Uh, I'd say above average jiu-jitsu. Becoming a better striker as well. Learning to use his reach. Learning to use his lankiness. So I think he, I guess he's still developing. Um, I don't know what it is, but just something about him. I just don't have the best uh, best feel uh, about Marlon Vera, and I just don't, I don't know, I, I still don't think he's a legitimate guy, uh, he needs to get a couple more victories here, and this No Helen Hernandez guy uh, making his UFC debut uh, should hopefully be a, an easy victory here for Marlon Vera, uh, with No Helen Hernandez, the last time he fought was November of last year against a guy named Kyle Reyes for Tachi Palace fights, who I'm surprised is still putting on fights, I thought those guys folded a long time ago, uh, but he had a fight scheduled for June 15th, uh, I'm not sure if, you know, oh, that was actually a boxing bout. So, uh, he was actually supposed to fight Anthony Birdcheck. Interesting. He's supposed to fight Anthony Birdcheck. Where was this fight supposed to happen? For LFA. So I guess he had a fight that he was getting ready for. So I guess he's pretty much in shape. I just want to see what he has to present. You know, he has a 10 and 2 record. Uh, any notable names? No names that I really recognize on his pro or amateur record. Uh, the guys have a decent, uh, you know, his opponents have had decent records. 13-5 and five last fight. 13-5-1, uh, 7-3, and 6-2, and 3-0, and 3-0, and 7-3. So he hasn't been fighting complete can crushers. Oh, oh, he's beaten Martin Day, who's also in the UFC as well. So that's one name I would say. Uh, but I don't want to say anything about his technique. I don't know much. Uh, most of his wins have come by decision. All of his wins have come by decision. Uh, except his earlier fight. So, again, not much to say about No Helen. I'm not even going to give you guys a prediction on this uh, because I have no idea what to expect with No Helen. So, uh, not the biggest fan of uh, Cheeto Vera, but I'm not sure if this is the the spot to fade him again like I did last time and it stung me, but it is what it is. <laughs> Next up, we got uh, Gilbert Melendez versus Arnold Allen. Gilbert Melendez fighting for the first time since... Uh, what is that, September 2017, which is when he lost to Jeremy Stevens. He's completely fallen off a cliff, absolutely fallen off a cliff. Uh, you know, he's an absolute world beater in strike force, uh, beating guys like Tetsui Kawajiri, Shinji Aoki, Josh Thompson a couple of times, Jorge Masvidal, comes over to the UFC, loses a split decision to Benson Anderson, has an absolute war with Diego Sanchez in his next fight, uh, and then, you know, strings out, uh, four straight losses, which is the streak that he's currently riding. So he had a title shot again against Anthony Pettis, uh, which is what he got guillotine by in uh, the second round. Uh, then lost a split decision to Eddie, Eddie Alvarez. 
Uh, then lost a decision to Edson Barboza. I was actually live for that in Chicago, which was headlined by Holly Holm and Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, and then uh, lost a decision to Jeremy Stevens uh, at UFC 215 in September of 2017. So he's always been a pretty good all-around fighter, you know, good jiu-jitsu. That, that guillotine that Anthony Pettis was able to catch him with was very shocking to me, to be honest. I thought that was a fight that he was going to be able to easily uh, grind out and beat Pettis, but Pettis, you know, was just fucking Wonder Man <laughs> during that run when he had the title against, uh, you know, Benson Henderson, Gilbert Melendez, and then eventually lost it to RDA in his next fight. But Melendez has just not been able to string it together in his UFC career. He's 1-5, in five, uh, and now he's coming in against a young up-and-comer after... Uh, just close to two years off. You know, that's probably the most concerning thing about this fight. You guys know how I feel about guys who are coming off of extended layoffs. Uh, and this is no different. Uh, Arnold Allen is a, is a fucking problem. You know, he's running a seven-fight win streak, uh, you know, beating guys like Makwan Khani, Mads Bernal, Jordan Rinaldi, who's a strong wrestler in his own right. Uh, I think he's going to have the advantage here against Gilbert Melendez. You know, Melendez is getting up there in age, uh, you know, obviously not fighting as often either. He's 37. Uh, I think Arnold Allen is going to be the stronger, faster, quicker guy here, more athletic now too. Uh, you know, probably has, uh, he'll have the speed advantage, which will probably give it, give him the advantage on the feet. I believe Melendez still has a little bit of power in his hands because that's normally the last thing to go. So that's probably one thing that you have to worry about here with Arnold Allen. Uh, but in terms of the grappling, I think that Arnold Allen should be able to stay out of any type of jiu-jitsu issues that Gilbert Melendez may bring. Uh, so I've seen a lot of people parlay Arnold Allen. A lot of people are super, you know, dead set on him thinking he's like, you know, not to use my own cliche, but the lock of the night. And I don't know if I feel comfortable betting Arnold Allen here, man. I... I uh, he he's 14 and one, you know, 25. Uh, I believe, you know, physically he has all the advantages here against a, uh, an aging Gilbert Melendez, but I find it hard to always count out these old dogs, man. Like it's, uh, I'm picking Arnold Allen to win here, but minus 370, in my opinion, is a little bit fucking crazy. Um, it's Gilbert Melendez at the end of the day. You know, he may be one in five, but he he might have that veteran savvy edge over a guy like Arnold Allen, who, you know, he did have somewhat of a close fight against Makwana Mayakani, you know, as a split decision. So if this just comes down to like grappling for grappling, there might be certain techniques that Gilbert Melendez may just pull out of his sleeve and fucking, you know, surprise Arnold Allen and steal a round or two from here from him. <clears throat> I personally don't think that's going to happen. I think Arnold Allen is going to have the advantage everywhere, uh, but I just don't feel comfortable putting him in a parlay here. So uh, the pick is Arnold Allen. It's a pass for me, probably not even as a parlay either. Um, but yeah, I, I find it hard to to, bar, to bet Arnold Allen here. Maybe as a straight pick at like minus 170 or something, I would consider, Ar consider, ugh, consider Arnold Allen. Uh, but I don't know, just... Tuesday of fight week, I just don't feel like it's 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 the spot. Uh, but he should win. He should win. All right, let's move along. We got Michael Chiesa versus Diego Sanchez. Kind of another similar fight in terms of... Uh, well, I guess Michael Chiesa is not as much of an up-and-comer as Arnold Allen is. He has six years on him in terms of age. Uh, but Diego Sanchez, you know, still kicking around, still doing the damn thing. He's 37 years old, uh, just beat Mickey Gall uh, and Craig White. So he's he's strung together a two-fight winning streak. Uh, and now he comes up against another guy who's hungry to kind of get back into the to, to the title chase. You know, Michael Chiesa is coming off a victory over Carlos Condit, was able to easily Kimura him in the second round at UFC 232 back in December. Um, you know, 
I think that Kiesa has the better jiu-jitsu at this point in time uh, over Diego Sanchez. Uh, I think he has the better striking as well. I think he'll put hands on Diego Sanchez. I think he's going to be able to catch Diego Sanchez on the way in. Um, and if this fight does even hit the ground as well, I think that Kiesa is just going to be the sharper, uh, more athletic guy as well. You know, Diego Sanchez had his, uh, you know, his advantages over guys like Mickey Gall and 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 Craig White just due to their inexperience. You know, Craig White was fourteen and eight going into that fight. Um, not the best fighter, you know, we've seen him get uh, grappled, fucked before pretty much, and then Mickey Gall, you know, was 5-1 and one going into that fight, just not the, uh, you know, maybe a little bit too, uh, f- th- this was a little bit more than he should have uh, gone into, you know, um, probably not the right fight for Mickey Gall, you know, it's a name under his belt, which I understand, uh, but he was minus 250 going into that fight. And I remember I was going to bet Diego Sanchez upwards of plus 300 because uh, Mickey Gall was getting to some crazy fucking number. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's hard for me to to put the plus money on Diego Sanchez this time around because I, I find it hard to see Michael Chiesa get outgrappled here. Uh, you know, he's currently going off at minus 330-ish. I just, I wouldn't feel comfortable parlaying Michael Chiesa either. I, there, I fucking said it, you know. Uh, he was a pretty hefty favorite going into that fight with Anthony Pettis as well, minus 175, and even bigger favorite here going into this fight with Diego Sanchez, and I just don't feel comfortable putting Kiesa into a parlay. Uh, you know, you could, just just on looking at this fight on paper, you could probably think, yo, this is just parlay city. You could parlay fucking three or four different favorites, and they'll probably win, and you'll cash it, but I fully expect, like, these are more suspect heavy favorites than they are uh, legitimate heavy favorites, in my opinion. You know, Michael Kiesa could slip up and and still fuck this up somehow, and I don't trust him at all in this situation. Uh, but uh, you know, I don't know if you guys will even see a parlay out of me in this fight, or at least in this event. You know that there are some spots, but it's hard for me to to completely be comfortable uh, betting uh, these guys in in parlay situations. So uh, I'm still gonna pick Kiesa probably by decision. I think he just grinds out uh, Diego Sanchez. Uh, at, at maybe at worst you'll see him catch Diego Sanchez on the way in, clip him, and then just follow up with uh, you know a TKO of some sort. Um, but Sanchez still still got uh, still got some heart, still got some fight in him. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him last all 15 minutes. But I'm taking Michael Chiesa here, confident enough for a bet, probably not. All right, let's move the fuck along. We got Jan Blahovic against Luke Rocco. Luke Rocco making his light heavyweight debut finally. Final motherfucking Lee. Uh, this is coming off a uh, a one and a half year layoff for Luke Rocco. The last time he fought was against Yoel Romero at UFC 221, uh, where he you know was beating Yoel Romero up until that third round, and then eventually got caught, and Yoel Romero put him out. Does he have that same thing to worry about it with Jan Blahovic here? I don't think so. I think. The line being so close is strictly de- uh, predicated on the fact that a lot of people think that Luke Rockhold still has chin issues. I'm going to bypass that. I don't think that he has chin issues, man. I, uh, especially coming up in weight, you know, there's no scientific evidence to support this claim of mine. But I think that his chin is going to be a little bit better at, at 205. And Jan Blahovic has never really been that one-hitter-quitter type of uh, puncher. You know, he, he found it really hard to put out a guy like Patrick Cummins. That one was probably the most interesting to me. Um... But, you know, going to a decision against a, probably the chinniest motherfucker alive in Jimmy Manoa, you know, he landed some shots on him but was still not able to put him away. I think that Luke Rockhold kind of has a field day here. Um, I will 
I will say it right here now. I will make him a lock of the night play. He's currently sitting around minus 175, which I think is a ton of value as is. But I think that some people are feeding too much into that that shin issue. And we might even get Luke Rockhold closer to minus 160-ish. I'm going to wait it out. I'll probably wait till maybe minus 165. I think I'm going to be pushing my luck at that point. Uh, but if I see minus 165, even minus 170, you guys might even see me settle later in this week at minus 175 for Luke Rockhold. Uh, like the Benavides fight, though, I have no idea where the fuck these odds are going to go. I'm just trying my best to predict these lines. Uh, you know, Luke Rockhold obviously has the bigger name, uh, but I don't know what people remember the most. It is, uh, I think people will remember, actually, uh, Luke Rockhold's chin more they, than they will his actual skills and how good this guy actually is, man. It's it's really been his chin at 185 that has cost him some of these fights against Michael Bisping and Yoel Romero. But this guy is an absolute fucking monster, man. This guy's really fucking good. And I think he has the best chance out of all the 205ers. Mm, maybe not, okay? He has a really good chance, maybe top three, top five chance to dethrone a guy like John Jones just with the skill alone. Uh, but I think this fight against Jan Blachowicz is the perfect fight to put him into that top five, top seven discussion of light heavyweight. We know that this guy is a legitimate contender uh, and this is the perfect fight for him to prove it. So I think he goes out there. I think he finishes a guy like Jan Blachowicz as well. Um, as well. <laughs> as well. Uh, so I think this minus 175 line that he's currently sitting at is an absolute gift, but I'm going to push my luck a bit and see if I can get a better line. Uh, but he will be my lock of the night play. I will, you know, I, I've said in the issue uh, in the past before that sometimes I've had issues with guys with chin issues. Um, but I think that Luke Rockhold, uh, you know, has nothing to worry about with Jan Blachowicz here. You know, I think Jan uh, showed off his 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 improvements in terms of getting fights to the ground and mixing things up, which is why he was able to get victories over Nikita Krylov, uh, Jimmy Manoa, Jared Cannonier, but then still fell victim to Thiago Santos, which is a fight that, you know, I bet him as a lock of the night play. I thought that was an easy bet, uh, but he still found a way to lose that fight. And I think that uh, Luke Rockhold absolutely will demolish Jan Blachowicz here and is absolutely deserving of the lock of the night play moniker uh, and it's a complete steal to get him anything better than minus 200 even minus 250 to be honest but I'm taking Luke Rockhold probably by I'm going to take him by second round submission I think that he taps out Jan Blachowicz here or gets a TKO. He gets top mount uh, and then rain down, rains down elbows. It's up to Jan Blachowicz whether he wants to take those elbows and get uh, a TKO loss or give up his back and get a, a submission loss to Luke Rockhold. But I think Rockhold gets the motherfucking victory here. Next up, third last fight of the night, we got Jorge Masvidal against uh, Ben Askren. Ben Askren, 19-0, coming off that victory over Robbie Lawler, which was that bulldog choke. We all remember the controversy behind that you know, insane fight. Almost got finished by Robbie Lawler, showed his grit and heart, and eventually stayed in there and choked out, choked out Robbie Lawler, if you want to call it that. Um, and now he comes into this fight against a very game Jorge Masvidal, you know, I don't want to, uh, you know, no pun intended with the, the game-bred moniker that Jorge Masvidal has, but I think this is a very tough fight for Ben Askren. He's currently sitting at minus 235, uh, plus 195 on Jorge Masvidal. Um, you know, I believe Masvidal obviously has the advantage on the feet. Will he be able to keep the fight on the feet? That's where I think he falters. Um, you know, if this turns into like a, 
I don't see this turning into like a Ishmael Nordia versus Michelle Prezeris type of fight because I believe Ben Askren has way better ability to get this fight to the ground than Prezeris did. Uh, but I think that as long as this fight stays standing, uh, Masvidal is going to be able to piece up Ben Askren and make it a very tough fight for him. But as soon as Ben Askren gets a hold of him, I don't think that Jorge Masvidal is going to, one, get him off of him, two, uh, get up. That's just being completely honest. Ben Askren is going to... I think this is a tailor-made fight for him to show off his ability to get this fight to the ground um, and make it a living hell uh, for... And, and show why his wrestling has been so you know highly touted and why he's seen as such a fucking monster even though you know a lot of people were not impressed with his his reign as one champion or even bellator champion but i think that we kind of see a a vintage ben Askren performance here i just i'm not comfortable betting him uh Maybe I will probably look at like a poke on him uh, as a parlay piece. You know, minus 235 parlay with something else is probably not that bad. I could probably get plus money on him, but I would probably put no more than a unit on it. Uh, it just, it, it really concerns me when guys stand up uh, is lacking so much and it's obviously paid off for him you know he's 19 and 0 for a reason he's been able to get these fights to the ground and been able to to avoid the striking to a sense to a point that he's been able to go undefeated but Jorge Masvidal brings like another level of striking than most of the guys that he's fought before you know other than Robbie Lawler who's just a fucking madman and a, and a great striker but you know I think he got Douglas Lima at a great time back in 2012 even Jay Huron he went to a split decision with uh, he's fought some decent strikers but uh, a guy like Jorge Masvidal who's able to mix it as well as he is and is able to overcome you know crazy odds like uh, his fight against Darren Till um, you know I, I love Jorge Masvidal and I would love to see there's nothing more I would love to see than a Jorge Masvidal win here and especially extending him uh, to get this um, for him to 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 extend this to a two-fight winning streak especially coming off that Darren Till victory would be fucking amazing and especially that would skyrocket him even more in the rankings in my opinion uh but I think this is a very tough matchup for him he's always had issues with guys who have the the grappling advantage um and I think that this is going to be another uh instance of that where we see Ben Askren implement his wrestling and take uh Masvidal down and just make it a living house so I want to take Ben Askren here uh by decision you know Masvidal is hard to put away so I think we just see a vintage Ben Askren performance and he just lays and prays maybe lands some good shots but uh makes it a difficult 15 minutes for Jorge Masvidal and Ben Askren comes away with a decision victory let's move on to the first title fight of the night we got Cham Cham Amanda Nunes against Holly Holm Currently, we have uh, Amanda Nunes sitting at minus 340 and Holly Holm coming back at plus 280. Um, so one one fight that I really need to go back and watch is Amanda Nunes versus Valentina Shevchenko too. Um, you know, uh, I, I recently watched the Raquel Pennington and Cristiano uh, or the Cyborg Santos fight um, within the last week. Uh, but that Shevchenko fight, I think, is the one that probably is going to matter the most. Uh, I think she, Shevchenko is the, the most talented striker, technically, that Nunez has fought in the last five fights or so. You know, say what you want about Cyborg, but she's more of a, a crazy woman, and, and the type of game plan that she had against Amanda Nunez was just absolute dog shit. You know, she, she was just fucking throwing out any type of game plan, any, any discipline out the window and thinking that she would just absolutely, you know, molly whop Amanda Nunez. But, you know, she was in for a rooted awakening and then eventually got KO'd with 51 seconds uh, into that first round. Uh, but I think that Holly Holm, we might see a little bit more of a measured approach um, 
And that's where I think I think uh, things get interesting. I've told a couple of people before that if Holly Holm hits that plus 300 range in any one of my books, I would think of, uh, you know, putting a small bet on her. Uh, yeah, she is plus 205 currently at Pinnacle. So I, I, I would, you know, maybe even put like 0.5 units on Holly Holm because I think that she's a great striker, man. I think I think she does, technically she does a lot of things right. Um, you know, there is a there is a argument that she could have won that Jermaine Durand me fight as well. You know, she showed her striking expertise against a girl like Betch Coelho, who was just, you know, levels and levels below her. But uh, that Justino fight, you know, she had issues with the, the power striking of uh, of Justino, um, or Cyborg, I should say. But then she was able to change up her game plan pretty quickly against a girl like Megan Anderson, who had early success against Holly Holm, and then her Holly Holm on the fly changed it up, went to a more grappling-heavy game plan, and eventually pulled out the victory there. Um... I think Amanda Nunes has way more killer instinct than uh, Megan Anderson and probably way more killer instinct than the uh, the cyborg that we've been seeing of late. Um, and I think that... Uh, uh, I'm going to pick Amanda Nunes to win here. I think that she could probably finish Holly Holm within two rounds or so. But I think that if this is more of a point... Uh, you know, point fight and Holly Holm is super measured and super disciplined and tries to, you know, uh, I fully trust Jackson Wink and, and especially with how close that Holly Holm is with Jackson Wink and how close she is with the coaching staff and how long she's been there too. I think they have a, a very good opportunity to come up with the perfect game plan to beat, to beat a girl like Amanda Nunes, but it's hard for me to, to absolutely see that happening and, and being, you know, uh, one unit confident in terms of putting a bet on Holly Holm. Maybe a 0.5 unit at plus 300, which is what she currently sits at. I think there's some value there for sure. She, you know, she is still a world-class striker. I think she's she's a great striker. Um, but, you know, Amanda Nuna has shown time and time again that she comes back as a better fighter every single time. Uh, but I don't know. I, I'm going to consider that possible bet on small, small bet on Holly Holm strictly for value reasons. But I am going to pick Amanda Nunes to win here. I think that she finishes Holly Holm in the second round. You know, her her knack to go after a finish after hurting a girl uh, is just unparalleled. And I think that she will land on a Holly Holm at a certain moment. And uh, we've seen Holly Holm, you know, rocked and hurt in other fights before. But I think that Amanda Nunes has the best killer killer instinct out of all the fights that she's fought, uh, all the fighters she's fought in the past. So I think it's going to be very tough for Holly Holm to pull out a victory here. But uh, again, I wouldn't bat an eye on anybody that took a shot on Holly Holm at plus 300. Uh, and I may be one of them. I don't know yet. I don't know yet. <laughs> but official pick, Amanda Nunes, second round TKO. All right, let's move right the fuck along to our main event. Johnny Bones Jones against Tiago, Tiago Maheta Santos. Uh, John Jones, what the fuck can you say about this guy? Undefeated, with an asterisk, 24-1 and one coming into this fight against Tiago Santos. He's coming off a decision victory over Anthony Smith in his last fight, uh, which happened in March. He says he wants to stay active, man. He's had a lot of time that he has to make up for, you know, all of his bullshit that's been going outside the cage. But uh, I think he said he wants to at least appear in the octagon three times this year and then maybe three or four times next year. So a ton of time for him to make up for. And, you know, luckily for him, there's a Rolodex of guys for him to slowly sift through. You know, there's a lot of guys coming up to that top of the light heavyweight division that are very deserving of title shots and probably are like one or two fights away from that. So, you know, I'm not too mad at Tiago Maheta Santos getting a, a title shot, of, especially over a victory of a guy like uh, Jan Blahovic, who's kind of a top five-ish, top seven staple in that light heavyweight division. So Tiago Santos, you know, going on a little bit of a streak after coming up from middleweight, you know, beating 
getting guys like Eric Anders, uh, Jan Blachowicz. Uh, I believe he beat uh, Jimmy Mano as well uh, in that crazy fight that they had at UFC 231. Uh, but in this fight against John Jones, he's just completely outskilled here, man. It's it's going to be tough to see a guy like Thiago Santos, uh, you know, even land some sort of Hail Mary shot against a guy like John Jones. John Jones said it perfectly. I forgot which interview it was he said it. Maybe it was uh, the Ariel Hawani interview he did uh, a week or two ago. But, he, you know, he said he's, he's more worried about guys that have uh, a game plan uh, that is just not, you know, swinging for the fences. Because John Jones has fought a lot of guys in the past that just like to swing for the fences. And he has great game plans to combat a guy like that. I think that uh, he'll look to get this fight to the ground ASAP and probably just, you know, elbow Tiago Santos into nothingness. Uh, you know, he's minus 600 right now, plus 450 on Tiago Santos coming back. But I think that John Jones, you know, we're going to see... We're going to see a, a, a great performance from him, I think. I think well, we're not going to see as much of a, you know, uh, a measured approach as he had against Anthony Smith. I think we're going to see John Jones going for the kill here and going for the kill with with grappling. I think that he'll find a way to close the distance uh, intelligently, get Tiago Santos to the ground, and I think from there uh, he's going to have an absolute uh, molly whopping. He's 6'4", 84.5-inch reach, whereas Tiago Santos is 6'76", 76.5-inch reach. But when you guys saw these guys kind of facing off against each other, it's insane the size advantage that John Jones has. He has he looks in absolutely at least maybe two weight classes bigger than him. It's insane. Uh, and one thing I just realized, man, Tiago Santos is 35. So he this is pretty much... You know, he needs to get this victory here. Otherwise, go down to middleweight, see if he can string together a couple more wins again and maybe fight for the middleweight strap. But you're not beating John Jones, bro. I, I love Tiago Santos. Everybody's a big fan of him, you know, the style that he brings. Uh, but I don't even think a Hail Mary shot here uh, is in the books for him. Uh, John Jones is just too intelligent, has a significant reach advantage, significant size advantage. I think as soon as he gets close enough to Santos to get this fight to the ground, he's going to be able to without much resistance. And then it's just going to be a, a quick, short night uh, for Tiago Santos. So, I don't think there's much to break down here. I don't think that Tiago Santos is going to land any crazy Hail Mary shot. Um, I think that uh, maybe the fight doesn't go to decision. Parlayed with something is probably a good spot. Uh, what, what's uh, Jones inside the distance? Jones inside the distance is minus 230. I think there's some value there. Fuck, I... Yeah, I'd say there's some value there. I might I might actually bet him uh, to win inside the distance. I, I don't see Tiago Santos being able to go all five rounds, you know, withstanding John Jones's uh, takedowns and and surviving off of his back. So I think there's plenty of value at minus two thirty for Jones to win inside the distance. Man, that might even be a second lock of the night play for me now that I'm thinking about it. Minus two thirty is a great price for you know the the, the skill gap between these guys. Uh, the fact that John Jones is not a minus one thousand favorite here is just. Uh, strictly based on the fact that people think that Tiago Santos has that chance to hit, um, you know, that Hail Mary shot. You know, he's he's gone from plus 520 down to plus 425, then back up to plus 525 to plus 500 to plus 415 to plus 450. So there's been a little bit of a roller coaster from like the plus 520-ish range to the plus 450 range. Uh, but I think that's just people, you know, thinking that Tiago Santos is going to land that Hail Mary shot. I just don't see it happening. I think that we see John Jones finish him here uh, and not have much resistance once this get, fight gets to the ground. So I'm taking John Jones. Let's say, 
let's say second round ground and pound finish or even a choke, uh, maybe snatches on some sort of guillotine or a rear naked choke. But I think that John Jones finishes this fight. Thiago Santos is going to blow his load in that first round and a half. And then John Jones is, you know, if he doesn't get him down in that first round, he's definitely going to get him down in that second round and f- look to finish this fight really quickly. I think he wants to put on a statement as well, especially off a fight, after a fight against Anthony Smith. A lot of people that he was going to be able to finish relatively quickly. I think Thiago Santos's knack for not ever going to a decision uh, will definitely feed into John Jones winning this fight inside the distance as well. So I'm going to take John Jones. Uh, what did I say? Second round, second round finish. I don't know if it's going to be a KO or or submission, but I definitely definitely like John Jones to win here. That's a fucking wrap. That's UFC 239. What do we got next week? UFC Sacramento, I believe, is next week uh, with Aspen Ladd against uh, Jermaine Durandamy. Uh, you know, great card in terms of odds. I've seen a lot of people already talk about it online on, on Twitter. A lot of people are saying that uh, there's a lot, of li- a lot of live dogs on this card, and I, I believe them. You know, I'm not going to share with you guys as of yet. Um, but uh, I, I can't wait to dig deep into that a little bit more. There's still a couple of things I want to shore up for uh, UFC 239, especially that Hernandez and Verified maybe see if that, that there's some possible value on Hernandez if, uh, you know, those odds come out at a, at a certain number. Uh, but uh, I, I love the plays that I have for this card so far, man. Uh, the Well, only just the Alejandro Perez uh, bet that I made earlier in this podcast. But, uh, you know, Luke Rockhold... More than likely a lock of the night play. And then John Jones inside the distance, more than likely a lock of the night play as well. So, um, yeah, me and Tony are going to be back in the studio tomorrow uh, at, to record an episode of The Combatasaurs. I hope to have that out for you guys by Thursday. Um, I believe I should have the lockcast done for you guys tonight, which is Tuesday night, probably available for you guys to listen to on Wednesday. Um, Tape Index will be updated as well as soon as possible with Noah Helen Hernandez, especially coming in uh, against Marlon Vera. Uh, what else do I got? Yeah, Cabatasaurus, Lockcast. Check me out on Twitter at MMALOTN. Check the website, MMALOTN.ca. Uh, fuck. Oh, I will be doing a mug. Excuse me. I will be doing a lug. Lug. I will be doing a mug. Uh, giveaway lock of the night giveaway uh for this ufc 239 event last time i did it for strictly for youtube this time i'm going to go back to twitter so if you guys want to uh go in on that just make sure you check out my twitter feed i'll probably have it pinned or somewhere near the top of my timeline uh in terms of the details but it'll probably be around the same thing that i did for like the youtube pick a winner uh pick the round and method uh whoever wins if there's multiple winners uh they'll be put into a draw and the winner of that draw receives a mug if you guys remember i have a bunch of those mugs with mma quotes uh funny ones still sticking around uh i want to fuck chuck uh thug rose times three uh there's a bunch of other ones that i got just check out my timeline pictures uh and you guys will find them all there but that that's pretty much about it for on my side i'll be again like i said i'll be back tomorrow to record combatasaurs i'm gone to montreal this weekend so i won't be watching uh 239 live i'll be at a, a wedding uh, it's one of my, you know, closer cousins, so I'm not too mad about it, but it's always unfortunate that a lot of people like to fucking have their weddings on the, the most popular weekend for UFC, which is uh, international fight week, but I'll be watching the fights probably the next night. Um, wait, now that I'm thinking about it, Saturday morning is the ceremony. Sunday night is the reception. So actually Saturday night, I'll probably be able to watch the fights live. So bam, sick. I don't know why the fuck I didn't think about that before. So, no, I won't be sad because I'll probably be watching the fights live. Hopefully, we come out on the winning end and I can have a a successful party the night after. But, 
yeah, that's pretty much about it. I'll be back Monday uh, from Montreal. Uh, so I'll probably record on the Tuesday uh, for UFC Sacramento. So you guys will get uh, UFC Sacramento breakdown on the Wednesday of fight week. But that's pretty much about it, man. Uh, keep your eyes peeled on my uh, on my Twitter timeline again for any other bets that I'm going to be posting. There might be something that I see on tape when I continue it this week uh, that I may have overlooked before I recorded this podcast. But I'm pretty strong in how I feel about most of these picks. Uh, but just keep your eyes on my timeline at... MMA LOTN. Give the video a, a thumbs up. Give the video a, a sub- subscribe. Subscribe to the channel. You know, that always helps me. I love seeing the support that you guys give out to me. And even comment below, whether you're a hater, lover, whatever it is. Y'all can see from the past videos, I love having conversations with anybody. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, I love you all. <laughs> I love anybody that, that that puts their time into actually uh, hearing what I have to say, watching the podcast. Uh, again, even if you guys are just haters, it's totally cool. Totally fine with that. Totally cool. All right, that's it. I'm done. We out of here.